I like to think of it as a campfire. We all. <laughs> yeah, let's get all, marshmallows because I'm doing. Let's rowdy. get marshmallows. Hold hands, sing songs, and configure the routes. Does your team need to master Angular JS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. Hey, have you heard about Code School? Code School is a terrific way to learn by doing. You actually get to work through exercises on their website and learn how to build code. They have courses on Ruby, Python, .NET, iOS, Git, databases, and of course, Angular. And you can try before you buy, so they have free intro courses to things like Git, Angular, and iOS. So go check them out at codeschool.com and start learning by doing. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 122 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have John Papa. Hello. Ward Bell. Here I am. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the Angular router. Now, I'll admit, just to get started, that I really haven't done a lot with the router. I tend to like all of the fancy DOM manipulation. And then it's like, oh, yeah, you can do this, too, where you click a button and it loads a different component into a different spot. Is, is that essentially, in a nutshell, what the router's about? That's the basic fundamental of a router, right? That you want to show more than one page in your app and you want to go from one place to another or you want to have 10 different pages. That's like the starting point. But there's a lot more to it. And once you start using a router, you start realizing, or building any app, even without a router, you start realizing why you need one. So if we had like a bunch of components on a page and we didn't have a router, we could write code ourselves to kind of switch between 10 different components by hiding and showing, right? But how do you handle authentication to not allow Charles to these particular pages? Or how do you make sure that you load data before you get there? How do you make sure you lazy load some of the routes uh, after uh, while the application is loading? Or maybe only go get them on demand? There's a lot of cool things that you can do that you start realizing to code that yourself is kind of a pain. That makes sense. Yeah, I got to admit, I was always, uh, you know, before I... I knew what a router was. I, I always just had a series of, of links, and then I'd hide and show stuff. And uh, uh, that was pretty much the way I did it. So, uh, yeah, the routing, uh, the router actually makes life easier for you. It's, a, it's kind of surprising. And maybe we should start with kind of what the basic, like, how does it actually work? I mean, because yeah. really what it's doing, let's say you've got two pages, A and B. And you load your app, first of all, there's like your index HTML, and inside of your index HTML, maybe you got menu items for A and B, and then you click on A. What it normally could do without any other configuration is say, okay, when I go to A, I'm going to go get that component, and it's got some associated HTML, and I'm going to show it on the screen, which implies a lot of things. It implies that it has to know where to go get that uh, HTML in TypeScript or JavaScript. It also implies it needs to know where to put it on the page. And then you've got animations you've got to figure out. How does it animate in if you want it to? Uh, there's other stuff you can do. But the basics are, where do I get that code that's going to do this? And then where do I show it up on my page? And then the assumption, which I skipped over, is how do I tell Angular to go get that specific component in HTML as opposed to B, like when I had an A and B? 
So those are kind of the basics is it has to go and make an HTTP call, go get the data, put it on the page. We use something called a router outlet to tell it where to put it. Uh, Dan Wallin likes to call it X marks the spot, which is a great way to explain it. Mm-hmm. You have to mark on the page X marks the spot. This is where it's going to show up. That's the router outlet. And then the first step really is uh, that router link. And Ward, do you want to explain what the router link is? Well, a, a router link is a directive that you can put on, say, an anchor tag that uh, identifies what the router should do if somebody clicks that link. What pay, and that usually means what, what page should be swapped into the router outlet. And it's a way of declare. It's a sort of a declarative approach to setting up um, the the user's interaction with the routes, as opposed to an imperative approach, which would be inside the class component. You could say, "Hey, router, navigate to." So you have right. those those companion ways of doing it. The second way, where you tell explicitly in code the router where to go. Um, that's called the imperative way, and um, having a link in the HTML that's decorated with a directive uh, that tells it where to go is the declarative approach. So I have exactly. to ask, because um, you know, in single-page apps, a lot of times you have like a menu bar on the left, and you have sort of a, a main area on the right, and I could see that if you click something in the menu bar that it might reload or reroute something into that router outlet and then you have another router outlet for the rest of the screen can you do that with multiple router outlets and how do you tell it which one to send what to ah so you're saying for example on the right hand side maybe you have two different areas like a top and a bottom yeah and you want some to show on the top and some on the bottom yeah yeah you can you can do that too actually you, you can do that or you can have router outlets within router outlets that's the notion of having child child routes um, so maybe the thing on the left takes you to uh, one of the major workflows. In, a, in an email program, for example, you'll have one that shows you your mail, and there's one that shows you your calendar, one that shows you your contacts. And each of those is sort of a major area f- of your application. And you expect that when you click on that, some panel, let's say it's on the right, changes. But even within that, it might have its own um, series of panels that go in there and that you could navigate around into. And so that's the notion of child routes. And I think it's the place I would start as child routing, actually. Uh, I do that more often than I do named routes. Uh, at least that's been my experience. And I don't know why. I'm just thinking about that now. I, I think maybe child routing just makes more sense to me. And that's, as Ward said, it, that's the concept of having uh, a main route with a menu, which goes to a router outlet. And then inside of that router outlet, there's like sub-router outlets. So can I ask another question really quickly? I mean, looking at the documentation, it looks like a route is just a path and a component. I mean, is that all there is to it? Basically. Ultimately, it kind of boils down to that, uh, I think. You know, there's there's hair on that concept, but yes. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, if you stopped there, you probably wouldn't get the whole concept of it. But yeah, it effectively gets down to when you define a path, you're saying when you go to this route, this HTTP URL, whatever, you're going to load this thing. That's the two basic pieces you need. And one of the things that wasn't immediately obvious to me when I first encountered routers is that we express routes as if they were URLs, as if they were going back to the server to fetch a, another web page. Because that's the metaphor that, that we've come to use for routing. We, we, we've taken the... The standard browser metaphor of how you, you know, how you navigate 
um, the web to go from the New York Times to to Doonesbury or whatever the heck it is that you're looking at. Um, we've taken that metaphor and we've applied it to um, the way in which you uh, maneuver around inside an application that's that's sitting there inside your browser. And we've said, yeah, you know, we can use URLs inside our banking app or inside of our um, uh, the CRM system or whatever it is. Yeah, effectively, once the Angular app is loaded, because there's a caveat here, which we'll get back to, but once your Angular app is loaded, when you go to slash customers, slash orders, slash order, slash seven, uh, you're going, your Angular app is intercepting that address bar change in your browser, and Angular is evaluating it with its router saying, hey, don't actually go to the server, go find this route that happens to be this component over here or over there. Uh, the caveat on that whole thing is that if you have a deep link, which is when maybe your application has a requirement where I work with Ward and I need to send him an email that says, hey, go check out this particular customer in this application. And I send him the long URL of my application slash customer slash 17. That's a deep link. It's not the login page. Mm-hmm. Ward's going to click that. The first time his browser opens, the app isn't running. So it's actually going to hit the server. And then the app should start up if we configure it right, which we can talk about, should start up and go to the login page, let you log in, and then direct you to customer slash 17. Exactly. So routing has to support, in your application, you need to make sure you support deep linking as well, which is not an Angular concern. That is a server-side concern, which basically you just have to tell your server what to do if it finds one of those routes. From the user's perspective, it should feel like, it should feel seamless. The yep. user shouldn't really know whether they're uh, wandering around on the web or wandering around within the application on the web or whether, it, in fact, the route has been intercepted and you're just navigating locally. It should all feel seamless. And that's that, that's why it's designed as a URL. And, and that's the way routers work. What about history, too, right? That's that's a key component of this. Is I always get asked the question when I'm talking with uh, users and businesses, what if I hit the back button in the browser or the forward button? Can we stop the user from doing that? Uh, well, the answer to that is you don't have to stop them because the way that the router works is it actually listens to browser history. So if you hit the back button in the browser, it's going to go to the last route that you just traversed. If you hit the forward button, it's going to go to the one that you were on before that um, if you went backwards. So it actually listens to the browser history and works in concert with it. And you can control that as a as a as the person who wrote the application, you can decide whether or not the person is allowed to revisit that page or go forward to a page. Um, that's all, all of that is within your control. Now, does yeah, the only thing it's push state or does it actually work through some other mechanism in the browser? Um, well, the, the router is actually intercepting the location change. Okay. So no matter what you so the whole push state versus hash uh, distinction, is that where you're going? Yeah, I was wondering about that too because I've seen that in other single page apps where they have the, the hash whatever path. But ultimately, it's right. like I was wondering if it needed a browser that supported the push state change, or if it if it was as you said intercepting the location itself. Yeah, it's really trying to gra- take take charge of the way the browser is is responding to location changes. And of course, the the nice thing about the push state is that you you know visually looking at the URL, it feels like. It looks just like a regular route. You don't have no idea. It's not trying to pretend to be navigating within a page. And, and it does, if you want that format of a URL, your browser does have to support it, as modern browsers do. Uh, um, but it's, um, 
it's mostly a matter of, um, of formatting, I think. Don't, would you agree, John? Yeah, I, I do agree. And I think that, you know, when you're talking about routing, we mentioned some of the bases to get started. Uh, there's obviously some boilerplate stuff you've got to do, like import the routing module and then import the Angular router. Uh, we mentioned the router outlet and the router link, but we kind of missed one. So again, this is kind of the curse of knowledge. Once you know how to do this, you forget that you've done it. But the most essential part probably of doing the router is you have to define the routes themselves. That would be a good idea. If you just start <laughs> with a router and you don't tell it, it's going to say, I don't know where you're going. Yeah, it, you, it's like any computer, right? It's going to do exactly what you tell it. If we don't give it paths, then it has no idea that slash customers is actually supposed to go get this customer component. So it's behooved, uh, it's, it's something you have to do to go ahead and set up these routes so it knows what to do when it sees these URL patterns. So example, Ward, uh, when I set up a list of routes, uh, I usually have two routes for sure. The first route I almost always have is the blank route where the path is set to the empty string. And I set the path matching to full on that. And that's because my app, usually whatever domain my app is set up to be, let's say it's www.papajohns.com. Um, if I want to go to, <laughs> let's say that that's a spa, because I have no idea if it is, it probably isn't, but let's say it's a, an Angular app, then my path would be empty string, because I don't want it to go to papajohns.com slash some other app, like buy pizza. I want it to go right to the root. So I set that empty string, and that would be my first like dashboard component. And the other route I almost always have is a page not found. So at the end of my routes, because they get processed in order, I'll have a path that's uh, star star, where basically I'd redirect them to a page not found to say, okay, we got to the end of the world. And I do this specifically because I've seen many, many apps where people for that star path, that basic catch-all, they bring them back to the dashboard. And the problem I have with that is, while that might be the user experience you want, at least during development, and usually during user experience too, if somebody enters an invalid path, you don't want them going back to the dashboard. You want to tell them that was a bad place so they don't go there again. So you, li you like to build a, a what's known as a 404 page into all of your apps? Yes. 404 meaning the status code for page not found. Right. Yeah, and usually I do something really... If it went all the way through. Yeah, so it's, it's like a client-side 404, and I build it up, and usually I have a nice animation on it, something very low res, uh, and then I have some nice message saying, oops, you probably meant to go here, would you like to go there with like a link underneath it, and maybe in some cases I built apps where it redirects after 10 seconds if they do nothing to the dashboard, but I at least want the user to know you went somewhere that doesn't exist, because maybe they've bookmarked that. Well, I'm super embarrassed, John, because we don't have that in our documentation at the moment. <laughs> so we should add that. Ah, good idea. I'm curious. And then in between all those two, that's where you got your customized routes. So would you call that a best practice? Because I, you know, I keep thinking style guide, but it, it's not something I would put in a style guide. Is that just a best practice that you found? I don't. I wouldn't say every app I've had does that because I mean there there have been apps where I've been specifically requested where they type an invalid route they want them to go right to the dashboard. Uh, but my style guide, the stuff that I do, yes, I like to direct them to a page not found. I think it's. I think it. Uh, I think what really needs to be in the style guide is that you that you should make a positive decision about what you want to do when somebody puts in a bad route. Yes. Um, 
Um, and um, we should add that as, as well, John. Um, we should really do that. And if 404 page is your answer, fine. And if, four, if no, the answer is uh, dashboard, fine. But make a decision. Yeah, I think leaving it off is probably the only bad decision because then you don't go anywhere. You actually get a routing error in that case. And I haven't seen that error message because I never actually tried it. But we should do that. See what the actual error would be. <laughs> so, so we, so what have we learned? Let's back up a little bit. Um, we know why we want to have a router. We've known that it looks, it brings the metaphor of navigating the web to to navigating your application. We know that it has an outlet, which is where things appear. Um, and uh, that you can navigate imperatively or use a link. And now we're getting into configuration. And I would say that configuration of the routes is, um, is one of the, the things that can start out simple and get crazy. Um, but we should probably talk about it. Would a friend of mine use the phrase dumpster fire? Some, a friend of yours who likes that phrase might very well um, bring that to bear. I'd like to think of it as a campfire. We all. <laughs> yeah, let's get all, marshmallows because I'm doing. Let's routing. get marshmallows. Hold hands, sing songs, and configure the routes. All right, let's take a break and earn a little money for the show by talking about Hired.com. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. They put you in control, fill out an application, and then top employers apply to hire you. Throughout the process, your dedicated talent advocate will also have your back, providing unbiased career coaching to help you put your best foot forward with potential employers. And Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And they help people find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. So if you're open to relocation, you can let them know and they'll work that in too. Finally, if you use our link, you can earn double the normal hiring bonus. The normal hiring bonus is a thousand bucks and they give you 2000 instead. So go check them out at hire.com slash adventures in Angular. So, so John, let's configure, you've, you've configured the default route and you've configured the uh uh-oh 404 route, but now we're into, um, uh, the ones where somebody says, well, I actually want to go to customers or I want to go to orders. And so um, what's the absolute fundamental of a route, John? Well, the way I like to look at them again is inside those routes, I always have a path and a component. Well, not always, but most of the time. You've got to give it a path property, like I'm going to customers or customers slash orders. And then the second thing is, okay, when I see that match, where do I go next? I go to component. So I set the path property and I set the component property. And the component property um, in the simplest example is a symbol that recognizes the component that I'm going to, like the customer component. So I might build up, this is kind of like Chuck's left-hand side. I might build up a whole bunch of these. Just, you know, uh, customers, orders, products, the major areas of management in my application. Now, um, what happens, John, if I am in the middle of one of those, let's say I'm, uh, editing the customer and, uh, I'm just typing away and suddenly I click another row. What should happen? 
when you're editing a customer. And, oh, I'm, so yeah, I'm just sitting changes. there on the screen, and then I make some changes, and I'm sort of got my work going there. And uh, for some reason, I decide to go click on the navigation that would take me to uh, products. Well, the best customer, sorry, customer experience, user experience would be to completely throw away all the changes they made and not tell the user, right? That's one possibility. <laughs> that's, that's totally what they expect. Exactly what they expect. And, and better they, yet, you could even will, use a route guard to say, I've just moved you from this route to that route, and I've thrown away all your changes, and then you can play audio that says, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Press the back uh, button for further frustrations. <laughs> please, please shut off your computer by yanking the plug out of the wall. <laughs> but, you know, actually, websites did this uh, for the longest time. It was quite possible to go have an oops like that, and then you just hoped that something was still sitting there when you went back. But we don't have to do that. No, um, we have something now that will protect us from these things, and uh, they're called route guards. They are guards that you put on the routes. Uh, you can think of them like a route events, if you will that stand between you and moving to a route or after a route uh, on different types of ways you can move between the routes too, which we can talk about the different types. And they enable use cases exactly like Ward's just talked about, where you want to stop the user from preventing uh, workplace suicide effectively, where they're typing into the screen, they've entered all the stuff they wanted, and then they hit a button by mistake, and bam, they just lost all their changes. We can have a route card that says, Hold on a sec. Did you mean to leave this page? Because you have unsaved changes here. Yes? Okay. We'll throw them away. Or no, let's stay on the page and let you save. Or you can save automatically or do whatever else you want to do. Right. Uh, we should put a parenthesis around that and say it, it actually has to do with how you you designed your user experience in your application. Because it's possible that you have said, I don't want to have anybody push a save button. I want to autosave. Uh, periodically, or I want to do, do various things that so that they don't even have to think about it and they can just navigate around. Uh, but a lot of applications, um, it's not even clear that you can do that because you might have to pass certain server-side validity checks and uh, and maybe you couldn't pass them yet because they hadn't filled in the form properly. So, so even if you like to autosave, it's probably um, a good idea to check in with the application before navigating away to find out if navigating away at this moment is something the user really wants to do. And that's what you're talking about, that deactivate guard. Yeah, there's, there's five guards today, and I, I hear rumors of others may come in the future. Uh, which word would do more than I would, but the ones that are there today are can deactivate. So can I deactivate? Can I leave this route? And then you get an opportunity to uh, do something, either ask the user, check some logic, don't ask the user. Then there's also uh, can activate. So there's can deactivate and can activate. Maybe before you go to a route, you want to check to see if they uh, have permission to get there. There's also can activate child in case you have child routes. And then for like lazy loading type things, you could say, uh, not even just lazy loading, but any kind of route you're going to, you could say, can I load this? So there's a can load guard as well to see, should I even load it, which is different than can activate because can load says, don't even go to get the HTML for this template unless I have satisfied this condition. And then there's a fifth kind, which we probably want to group with another category. I like well, teasers. You yeah, you, told, you, you, you teased me there, John. What's the one that you're talking about there? So there's a fifth kind of a router guard, and we can come back to router guards too, but I really like this idea. 
There are, let's say this, let's say before you go to a page, you want to pass data to that page. Chuck, you're on the customer page and you're checking out this guy, Ward Bell. He happens to be customer 17. All right, you click on customer 17, Ward Bell, to his picture. It brings you to his page. Well, how does Ward Bell's information get from the page you were on to the page you're going to? There are three ways. We can have something called routing parameters, which allows us to get the data from one place to the other, right? And within routing parameters, there's two ways we can get at those parameters. One's using observables, which we've talked about in previous shows, and another one's using something called the router snapshot. Uh, well, you lost case- me a second here, John. First of all, I'm, he clicked at 17. So, so has he... Uh, and, you know, there's, let's say it says customer slash 17, meaning the customer whose ID is 17. Yeah. Now, is, is the number 17 significant? Uh, when, the, when I arrive at that customer editor, is the customer editor going to see the parameter 17? Or were you trying to tell me, tell the story? I, I, I got uh, that. Well, that's, I think, really up to you, the way you want to do it, right? You can make the 17 part of the route, so it's customer slash then whatever ID they happen to be, which is a common thing to do. Um, or you can pass it some other way as well. How would you like to do it, Ward? Well, I, I was just wondering where you were going with the parameters there and the observables and stuff, So I because I was getting a little lost. Well, I'm just saying that there's multiple ways you can pass between routes. So once you've decided to go somewhere... You can pass a parameter, but let's say you don't even want to do that. What if you didn't want to go look up the customer named Warbell? What if you instead didn't want to get to that page, but you want, let's, for example, your back end takes, I don't know, 10 seconds to go find a customer. That's a long time, right? Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it'd be kind of bad, but sometimes we deal with these things in real life. So we're on the page where, you know, Chuck is really looking at you. He's on a private investigation page and he's looking at this customer called Warbell. And he wants to really find out more information about what this guy's been up to. So when you click on Ward Bell, Chuck, you tell me, what do you want to have happen? If it's going to take 10 seconds, would you rather have the page you're on stay there until all the data's back and then show Ward Bell? Or would you rather have it start to load the Ward Bell page with no data in it, stay there for 10 seconds in a weird state, and then show Ward? Well, I would rather have it start showing me what it can, when it can, but... If it's just the layout, then I'd rather just have it wait and tell me it's trying. Right, and I think you're hitting on both sides of it. It kind of depends on how much data you could show, right? Yeah, if I already have like the URL for the picture of Wart Bell, and I have his name and maybe his address, but I don't have his full file because that's still being loaded, yeah, I'd like to see that loaded in so that you know maybe all I needed was the address. Exactly. So if you've got some of the data, start showing it. If you don't have any of the data, it probably would be kind of weird to go to a page that's completely blank with a spinner on it. Yeah. So this is where I would come back full circle, back to routing guards. The fifth type of routing guard that exists today is called a resolve, or very similar to the old resolvers. They had an Angular 1, which allows you to decide. If you use that, you could say, while you're looking at Ward Bell on the main screen and you want to click on his ID to go look at all of his information, if that's going to take 10 seconds and you're not want to show that page... You could say, okay, I'm going to create a resolve guard that says, go get Ward's data. Stay on the page I'm on, but go get Ward's data. And once you get that data, then transition to the detail page and show it. And a resolve guard will let you do that. 
Nice. So, so, so you're there. You are. You were looking at a list of names, and that's really what he was saying. And all he had about me was the name Ward Bell and a list of yep. of customers to look at, and it just didn't want to go to the detail about. Um, or your nefarious activity that you've been up to. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, uh, let me know when that's available, then we can go there. So he, he clicks on something. Now the resolve guard is busily making the long trip back to the server to get the information. And you're staying on the list until that arrives, and then it navigates over to the editor. Whereas if you were willing to go over to the editor immediately, um, then you wouldn't use a resolve guard. You would just go. You would just navigate straight away to the customer editor, where it would have Ward's name and nothing else. And then uh, it would. Then that page would be responsible for asynchronously getting the data, and it would arrive when it arrived. And so the great thing here is that you have choices. You get to look at your yes. application, its characteristics, and decide whether you want to preload the data before you get there, or get there and then load the data. And there's no one right answer to that question. But the technique, yep. the technology is there. If you step back on this whole thing, what we're really showing is we, we start off by talking about the basics of the router. Everybody just wants to say, if I go to this route, show this thing. But ultimately, almost every app I've ever dealt with has always had at least one other question, at least one other, that's like, how do I make sure they can't get to the page if they're not supposed to with uh, authentication? How do I make sure I get data to the page before the page loads? Right. What if that HTTP call fails and I can't actually go get Wardbell's nefarious activity? Why would I want to bring them to the page, start showing it, and then back them off? So there's all these other things that you eventually want to do when you build real applications that get beyond Hello World. Yeah, but ultimately it depends on what your customer expects and what yes. you want to train them to expect. And so I think that's something that Ward was talking about a second ago where it's essentially, yeah, you know, in some cases you may want to load partial data and in other cases you may not want to because... exactly. You're just not in a position where it makes any sense. People are going to get frustrated because they only have half of what they asked for. And that's probably why the router, it's not probably, it is exactly why the router has been one of the most difficult things to put into a style guide. Because people generally want a very strict opinion of, this is the way I should do it. However, I think what we're getting at here, and Ward and I haven't had this exact conversation, but I sense we both feel the same way, and that's, there is no strict guidance of you always must use a resolver or you always must use this can activate. Or it really depends on what the user experience is supposed to be. And it depends how you want the application to behave. And the good news is the router has the ability to do all these things or none of them if you don't want them. So one of the th cool things that you mentioned in passing, John, was l lazy loading. And that isn't something that routers have traditionally been able to do. It certainly wasn't something that Angular 1 did very easily, as you, you know all too well. But it's remarkably easy in, um, in Angular 2, although the route... Obviously, well, not so obviously. The route can't simply be a path and a component because you, you know, if you're lazy routing, you know, lazy routing to it, that implies that you don't actually know the component <clears throat> at this time. You just know where to go get the component. You have some address. So, so what's different about lazy routes and and how do they work? Well, to understand lazy routes, I think we need to understand what's the other thing, uh, eager routes, right? So you're either getting your routes one of two ways. It's very binary. You're either getting them eagerly up front and they're all there, or you're lazy loading your routes. So eager loading is what happens by default and it's what's happened historically in most of our apps. That's where all of your application is loaded up front. 
And then when you click on your route, all the code is already there. All the HTML generally is there because you bundled it. And your browser just goes from one place to the other. It's very fast. But it also means that you're preloading everything into the browser, even if you're never going to get there. So imagine a massive app like Amazon. Imagine Amazon.com was a large spa. If they loaded every single shopping page in advance, and all Chuck wanted was batteries. It, Chuck doesn't care about American Girl dolls. Why is that page loading, right? Why are we bringing that into the browser? <laughs> so lazy loading allows us to say, you know what? Only show the things eagerly that we need for the app to run. But then when you click on a particular thing, go get it on demand. And then go across the wire, get that page, get the content and code with it, and then display it. And that's why lazy loading can help in some cases for performance. Yeah, I, I, I find that the thing that's in my head about that is that I'm, um, I'm usually go, having a lazy load, desire, a desire to lazy load when I'm thinking about loading whole, uh, a whole collection of functionality. So going back to our other thing, there's no reason for me at the start of an application to load all of the product inventory or uh, right. uh, management or the screens or any of that stuff. If um, I'm not going there, I should, uh, and I may never go there during the user session. That would be a total waste of downloading a, mo a module and setting things up. So, uh, and that could be true of any of the um, the sort of verticals, any of the silos of the functionality of my application. So, if I can neatly divide my application into separate workflows, that's a, a natural way to also decide what it is that I want to lazy load. And let's do, let's do exactly that because it's probably a good exercise. Let's make up a fake site called Amazon.com. And let's pretend they dev shopping on this site. And so one vertical, one area might be uh, shopping. But there's other things you might want to do in this site, like account maintenance or yeah. order history or things like that. And we can stop there. Wouldn't you put like boxes around those sets of functionality and maybe don't even load the account stuff if all you're doing is shopping? Exactly. So one question I have then is that I've worked on apps where, um, let's say that the shopping section actually takes a little while to load up and 90% yeah. of the people coming to my website are going to shop. And so, but at the same time, you know, I want my index load to be really fast. So essentially what I'd like to do is load the main page and then kind of sideload, start sideloading the stuff for shopping. And that way, when somebody clicks on it, I'm at least partway there. That's a great example, Chuck, because I've actually worked on a site that does exactly that, where the first thing they want you to do is shop. But then when they really thought about it is the first thing they're doing isn't actually shopping. The first page is like a marketing page. It's where they want you to look at like products. Maybe uh, they look up profiles. Say, hey, Chuck is used to buying a lot of batteries. I'll show frequently brought batteries first. But it's not the whole site. It's like a dashboard or a marketing splash. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which has got a big search box on it, like a Google search. And then while that's loading, as you said, in the background, they start loading the real shopping site, which may be larger. But unbeknownst to you, the user experience is you think the whole thing's there already. So by the time you search, it's already there. And that's another trick that we use in technology to, to offload heavy processing to allow the user experience to be using the app right away. And we can do that with Angular, which is cool. And that's a feature that was brought out uh, relatively recently in Angular. What were we saying? We're 2.1? I think it was 2.1. And that was called, uh, oh gosh, what's the name? This is escaping me right now. Pre Preload? It was called Preload. 
strategies, it was, right? Yes, there was a custom strategy to preload. Well, no, no, sorry. There is a preload uh, strategy, and then you can customize that strategy to meet the needs of your application. So, um, uh, right, there's two default ones that come out of the box. There's don't right, there's preload no, anything. There's don't, or, don't preload, and then preload everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you can customize it to do whatever the heck you want in between. Right. So in this example, you would actually want to eagerly load, immediately on launch, load that first, that sort of startup splash experience that leveraged whatever you could quickly get in front of the eyeballs. And uh, yeah, it's a, it could be a homepage or depending on how clever you are, maybe you left some information in, in browser storage that sort of said something about where the, the user was previously and you could quickly get that to screen. Um, so there's all kinds of clever stuff you can do that gets the ball rolling. Um, but immediately you want it because you know they're going shopping. So immediately you set it up with a custom strategy that says get that get that uh, shopping module down here uh, as quickly as you can. And then there'd be something else that would be, say, the account administration that the user is unlikely to do um, that you would leave in the lazy load state. And only when the user clicked on the um, on the button that said I want to administer my account would that would that module come down. Right. So that's really like three modules. You've got your homepage splash screen, which is really a very tiny module, right? It's your startup. And that one would be eager. Then you've got your sales or shopping module, which might be large. Uh, that would be lazy, but we'd have a preload strategy of loaded up front. And then we'd have another lazy load module, which would be like our account administration, which probably would just leave it with don't preload at all, because why bother loading it until they get there? And this is really up to your user experience, but that's how you could you could tinker and customize your application to behave the way you feel is best. So uh, another dimension on which these things can also take place is whether you want some of your site to require sign-in and some of them not. So, you know, certain modules could be loaded right away before the u- before there even was a user login. And then as soon as the user logged in, you could use the preload feature to bring in the things that required somebody to be uh, authenticated to come in and still have that third uh, do it only if they ask for it. So you can intersect your authentication and your authorization policies with this ability to construct routes to decide when things load. Yes, by the way, you can even rework the navigation entirely based on who um, who the, the user is and what their roles are uh, so that, that the, the router is working hand-in-hand with your uh, authentication and authorization policies. Now I want to go play with all this stuff. There's a lot here. I think and we, we rattled off all these things, and I'm looking at my Pluralsight course, which I, I just updated. I completely redid 90% of it. Uh, for the release. And the biggest part that I added, I think I added like almost an hour of content on the router. Uh, like, Because basically, after you get the router going, you've got to decide, how do I get parameters? Do I pass parameters at all? Do I do child routes? Do I use observables or snapshots? Do I use resolvers? How about route guards? Authentication? Lazy loading? No lazy loading? Preload strategies? Hey, Ward, what if I want to pro- have a provider for my route too? There's all these different things you can do now, which are uh, pretty cool. 
Yep. But we don't want to overwhelm you because, you know, um, it's all waiting there for you, but you can just, you could start really simple and say, Hey, I, I just want to create an A page and a B page and have it wrap it, you know, have it when the app starts, it always arrives on A and then I see how B. So, so, uh, lots of bells and whistles, but it works, uh, very simply coming out of the box and you can, you can learn about these things with John's course and with documentation, you know, you learn these features as you need them. It's yeah, I think just the nice simplest to know they're way, there. If I wanted to get started, right, the simplest way is probably to go to the Angular documentation. And even in the tour heroes itself, one of the last pieces is just set up a simple router. It doesn't do all the bells and whistles we just talked about, but it gets you exactly what Ward just said. Go from page A to page B and at least get that working. And there's not a lot of code to do that. It's quite simple, actually. Yeah. And, and, and then you learn about child routes. So, you know, you've got your A and B, but when you get to B, B is actually made of B1, B2, B3. You learn how to do that. And, and, and so that B is its own little sub routing universe that just is nicely contained to the, to the needs of B. You learn how to do that. That's probably one of the things you'll learn next. And then you start worrying about whether you, about guards and whether, what it takes to get to a page and what it, takes the lead there's just a, there's a nice learning path for acquiring your router knowledge and i want to sum up with one thing because i think this is a point that ward started pointing out and that's when we did eager loading versus lazy loading in angular one it was a big effort in angular two if you want to take an eagerly loaded route for uh, an area a feature like the sales or shopping feature we talked about and you want to turn it to lazy loading guess how many lines of code have to change chuck how many? One? One. That's it. That is so slick. I'm it sorry, is slick. But it's so slick. It's like, you, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I don't want it to load right away. Okay. Doesn't have to. Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. And I actually didn't believe it. So the first time I did it, because Ward was telling me this is months ago when the new router came out over the summer. When I was looking at this, I had an eager loader route. And I'm like, I want to use lazy loading. He goes, okay, go try this. I'm like, and I stared at it for five minutes before I asked him, I go, there's no way this is going to do this. Like, as I remember the pain in Angular 1 to get this to work. And you flip the switch and it loads lazily and you're like, holy smokes, that was awesome. And what this, um, what this shows us, by the way, is the, as we start to, you know, you, st you start to say, I want to have, I want to be able to make those decisions. I'm not sure I want to make them today, but I want to make them. Is it, what it does require is that you start thinking about your application in terms of workflows and those silos that we we're mentioning earlier so that you start grouping functionality that, that hang, that belong together, that, that behave naturally. And I mean, that's something that, that I feels like a solid architectural principle to me. I don't know about you, John. I know that our friend of dumpster fire fame has suggested that you should just throw all of your code in one big pot and watch that pot. Um, then it's not one. <laughs> then you don't have any basis for just setting one line and having it lazy load because you have to make a decision, right? So I, I personally, I like to design my app in terms of the, the workflows that are involved and, and, and put each of those workflows in its own module. That's, yeah. that's, your, that's your preference, isn't it, John? It is, it is but I, and I'll go on more on uh, Joe's side of this too because we've had many deep conversations on this and since he's not here to defend it, <laughs> I'll mention his point because I do agree with this. You also don't want to have, if you've got 
50 routes in your app, you don't want to have 50 modules either probably. No. I mean, you, you want to logically break these things up into areas or groups. And like Warren and I were just saying, you might have like a splash page and a shopping page and an account admin page, or sorry, area. You wouldn't have one for every single page. You could do it, but just because you can, you shouldn't. Right. Yeah, you just want to think about your uh, your app. As if you were going to divvy its functionality up and give it to different teams. You may yeah. be the only person designing the whole app, but imagine you were looking at it and saying either, well, I want to give it to different teams, or you were imagining that you had different constituencies, different kinds of users. How do, how do those users want to consume your app? If yeah. they think of it as having, I, I do one set of work over here and I do another set of work over there, that's a pretty strong clue that you want to separate that functionality into different modules. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys on breaking it up according to concern. I mean, unless it's just a tiny app where it's kind of silly to break it up, it just makes a ton of sense for me to just go, okay, I'm going to go over here and work on this, and then I'm going to go over there and work on that. Agreed. I think one of the good news pieces out of Angular 2, though, is that you can get it wrong <laughs> at the start. You really can. Um I have uh, John. Maybe it's because John and I have done this so many times that we've looked at something we've written and said, "Well, that doesn't. You know, we'd like to split that in two, or that didn't really belong there. That goes over there. Uh, it just doesn't feel that hard to come back and make those decisions uh, when they're when they're clear to us and to shuffle the deck. Um, I, I think I, what I makes it easy. easier, to be honest with you, is when I organize my app. By in a folder structure, which we could probably have a whole show on, when I organize my app and my files in a way that makes sense to me, whatever that way is for you, you too, it makes it easier to decide later how to refactor. Uh, when you literally have a folder with 10 million things in it, it's hard to kind of figure that kind of stuff out, for me at least. But however it is for you to reason over your app, I think it makes sense to try to structurally organize your code in your head, in the app, in whatever tool you use, and then figure out, okay, how do I route here? How do I add this other feature? Now, how do I add new components or directives? Or uh, when you think about your app in that kind of a way, it makes it easy to kind of organize it. Yeah, I guess there's not much you can do when somebody delivers that two thousand line component at you, or which 20, we know. Line. <laughs> yeah, 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 and we know that's going to happen because in every other technology we've ever seen, somebody has written a two thousand or twenty thousand line view. Uh, and uh, that's a challenge for everybody. Um, it, there's just so little reason these days to make that mistake. And I'll leave you with one quote that's from a guy that uh, I work with. We remain anonymous. He said uh, just last week to our team, somebody was complaining about a technology, and they were wrongfully accusing the technology for the flaw. And he says, you know what? I could write crap in any language. C-sharp, Java, JavaScript, doesn't matter what it is. So when you're designing your apps, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I think there's standard coding principles that go into any language, and you, know, you can read uh, any of those books to figure them out. True, very true. Can you write crap in Ruby? Yeah, but it's pretty. <laughs> we all know Chuck loves his Ruby. <laughs> yeah, well, and if, if Joe were here, he would tell us that you cannot write crap in elm, in elm, elm yes 
I, I need to dive into Elm because I need to see. I think Elm's going to slap my wrist if I do it wrong. <laughs> it probably has a 300-line max. It <laughs> simply refuses to compile a file that's bigger. You know, that wouldn't be such a bad idea. What if our languages refused to compile any file that had 300 or more lines in it? Hey, that's an easy problem to solve. We solve that in my office. If it's over a certain uh, limit, we don't let it go through the CI process. There you go. Cool. Well, are we about ready for picks? Yes, ma'am. Thanks, John. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and do some picks. John, do you want to start us off? Oh, certainly. Why not? I was going to pick uh, the San Francisco 49ers because I wanted to hear Ward cry a little bit. <laughs> oh, oh, that is so painful. My poor team. I was going to say that that's one of those squads of uh, stormtroopers in Star Wars, right? <laughs> yeah, but instead, I'm actually going to pick another team that's close to where Ward is right now, and that's the Oakland Raiders. Uh, I've been thoroughly impressed with watching them in the NFL this year. And watching Carr, their quarterback, uh, progress, they have a good team going on and might not make it all the way, but uh, they should be proud of themselves. And I know people in the Raider Nation have long awaited having a good team again. And uh, they finally got it. Yeah, and not one that's a whole collection of thugs either. It's people, good people that you could, you know, you bring your family to. Uh, the Raiders used to have a... Uh, a reputation for not being yes. family friendly. But I would say the, the NFL has overall cleaned up its act, at least in that regard. Yeah, it's fun uh, to watch there. And I'm going to attack on Ward because I know you love this topic. There's some good movies that have just come out or are coming out. Uh, one of which I saw with my kids this last week. It's called Fantastic Beasts. It's a Harry Potter prequel, I guess you call it. Uh, and it was very good. It was actually more adult focused. It wasn't about a bunch of kids this time. It was about adults. Uh, in America, and uh, we really enjoyed it. It was a fun movie to watch. Had some good surprise people in it. Won't spoil anything for people. And then there's another movie coming out uh, called Rogue One, which is a Star <laughs> Wars movie, which I know Ward is dying to see. And I think he's coming to Orlando to see me soon, and yeah. I might just take him to see that movie when oh, he comes. God, they'll have to shackle me. <laughs> <laughs> that can be your. <clears throat> Never mind. But if you like books, and I know some folks do, I'm actually reading a book called Catalyst, which is a prequel to Rogue One, actually. Uh, I'm doing an audiobook of it on my way to work in the morning. And it's actually talking about Galen Erso, who is the guy who basically designed the Death Star uh, in Star Wars, uh, which you'll learn more about if you go see Rogue One. So it's a cool book, uh, learning quite a bit about that and kind of how it all came about. Nice. How about you, Ward? Well, I saw a small picture last week that I'd like to talk about uh, that I think is going to be great for kids, especially young girls. It's called The Eagle Huntress. And it's um, I can't tell if it's a documentary or one of those documentary, fictionalized documentary things. Um, but it's about uh, a, a kind of a sport in Mongolia that involves hunting, using an eagle to hunt in the step where it's friggin' 20 degrees, 40 degrees below. And uh, it's a long tradition. And what this is organized, uh, this movie's organized around a young girl. It's an all male tradition in, in Mongolia. And this young girl um, is, uh, wants to follow in her father's footsteps and become an eagle huntress. And so she's, you know, she gets her eagle. There's all this stuff. You know how it's going to turn out. Um, but nonetheless, you're watching these lives. 
in Mongolia, these wonderful faces, this girl's face is radiant throughout as she does stuff that you can't imagine a human being doing. It's really hard, a hard life to us, but she's thrilling to it, riding her pony around like it's a sports car um, and and hunting and flying these eagles. And the I have to say the costumes are magnificent, the furs and stuff, uh, but it's it's a great story. Um, and it's one of triumph for kids that want to do something that everybody thinks they shouldn't be able to do. Uh, so take your kids to it. Eagle Huntress. Cool. Uh, I'm going to jump in with a few picks. Um, I've been traveling the last week or so, and uh, I am really excited about some of the stuff that I was able to go do and see. Um, so first off, I went to Nashville. And I was there for, I was actually out at a place called Evans Mill for three days. And that was gorgeous, gorgeous place just out in the countryside in Tennessee. Um, and uh, I had a great time. Um, and so I'm going to pick that. The person who organized it, his name's Aaron Walker. And uh, he's from Nashville. And uh, he's a multimillionaire. And um, anyway, he helps guys like me um, do better in business and life. And so uh, I'm just going to say that it's been pretty amazing. So um, he only works with men. I know that that bothers some people, but um, I have benefited greatly from being uh, associated with him. And so uh, he does uh, Facebook Live every day. Um, And so if you want to get on uh, Facebook and follow him, you can do that. And then um, he also has a community for men that you can go join. Um, And if you go to viewfromthetop.com, um, you should be able to find all the information about that and about his coaching and things like that. Um, I was also in New York City and had a great time there as well. Um, I was able to go out and see the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island, and that is definitely worth it. Uh, the ferry ride was, I think, 19 bucks. Um, I actually got a city pass, and if you go to New York City, I recommend that you get that because it's, it's actually much, much cheaper and allows you to see all kinds of attractions and stuff. So uh, definitely get that. And I think it includes, I went in the, I went to the Empire State Building. Um, I went to Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I went to um, the 9-11 Tribute Center um, where they had a whole bunch of stuff from the uh, World Trade Center that came down in 2001. And uh, anyway, so it was, it went all the way from exciting and unbelievable to, you know, solemn and stirring. Uh, But it was a great trip. And um, honorable mention of Microsoft, they actually flew uh, AJ O'Neill and I from JavaScript Jabber and uh, Andrew and Jane from uh, the iFreak show out so that we could interview some of their folks. And we actually interviewed, or the iFreak show, they interviewed one of their uh, corporate vice presidents, um, you know, so pretty high up in the organization about some of the initiatives there at Microsoft and how they affect developers. And it was overall a great experience. So... Um, I'm going to pick that as well and just, you know, mention if you want to go see what Microsoft's up to, uh, go look for the Microsoft Connect keynote. Um, The Scott Guthrie keynote was an hour or so long. And then Scott Hanselman was on after that for another hour. And uh, anyway, they were fun. They were interesting and entertaining just to see what they were doing. Talked a lot about uh, tooling for all kinds of developers. Uh, They had Visual Studio Code. Uh, demos. Uh, Chris uh, Dias, who we've had on the show talking about Visual Studio Code, did a demo. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. 
a lot of great stuff. And you can also go check out the episodes uh, where we interviewed some of Microsoft's folks um, over at javascriptjabber.com and ifreaksshow.com. So yeah, definitely go check those out as well. And I'm also looking forward to Rogue One. I think it comes out like two days after my birthday. So uh, we always go see a movie and get dinner for my birthday. And I think that's what we're going to go do. So That's good. Swinging back to New York for a second. uh, I'm suddenly reminded that I was arrested for trespassing on Ellis Island. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Why is this not surprising? (laughs) We canoed from New Jersey over there before they had rebuilt it up. It was just like it was totally dilapidated. And so we circled the uh, Statue of Liberty in canoes and then landed at Ellis Island and were immediately arrested. Um, So, uh, hey. You know, you haven't lived until you've been arrested at Ellis Island. That, uh, that's just a cover it, story for your immigration, right? You didn't. That's how. I, check. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really that old. I immigrated. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's a great place, and if um, if you can't afford the ferry for 19 bucks, the Staten Island is uh, ferry is free. Yes. You know, it doesn't land anywhere but Staten Island, but you can see everything, and it's a great trip. Yeah, I actually went and visited Flatiron School as well, which is a coding school over there, and they, the guy there, he's like. He's like, yeah, my parents came and I said, yeah, we're all going on the Staten Island Ferry. You're getting the cheap tour to see the Statue of Liberty. But yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, Thank you both for being here and we'll catch you all next week. Cheers. Cheers.